Good morning. Beautiful music. Beautiful, beautiful. And very apropos to the moment. Because my, my first thing on my paper, not knowing what we were going to sing, was just how great is Jesus Christ. Just how great. Some of you know this, some of you don't know this. Uh, at this particular time in my life, my, I, I'm a funeral director. Yeah, that's a great, great response. Thank you. But uh, part of my job is uh, obviously to help families uh, as they're coming in, legitimately caring for them uh, at a time when they really need it. But one of the, the tinker toys, the details of what I do is, is we have to, if someone wants a cremation, oh, the state of Ohio has this really long authorization that I need to take care of. And while I, I'm pulling that piece of paper out, I'm looking for the person who by Ohio State's law words is I'm looking for the superior person. This is one time in a funeral arrangement where a sad circumstance typically brings a little bit of a grin. Because all of a sudden, the daughter or son realizes, maybe for the first time in their lives, that they are superior. Or the husband or wife, you know, that uh, Susan and I have been married almost 40 years, and, and I make the decisions after I ask. <laughs> but, but, but the whole idea behind all of that is, is that uh, all of a sudden that husband or that wife realizes for the first time they're superior, you know. Uh, and so it does, it brings out just a little bit of a grin. And we're able to know then uh, that the, the most important person is able to complete that transaction in what I do. And putting all of that aside, all I really want you to remember is the word superior, because the truth is, is we're talking about Jesus this morning. And I don't care what Ohio State law has to say. I care what this book has to say, and this book says that he is superior. It says it. I, I took a, a brief but uh, quick review of the book of Hebrews, which is a book that just elevates uh, the person of Jesus Christ over and over and over again. And I just put, uh, put some of them down for your uh, perusal if you're interested. I'm just going to go through them quickly. And I just thought, because it, it's, it's, it's a song of praise to just briefly review a book sometimes. And first is Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 4 through 14 declares that Jesus is better than all the angels. I don't care how many little figurines and songs and pictures are out there about angels. Jesus is better. He is better. He is better. Chapter 7 verse 2. He is better than Abraham. The very uh, foundational man of the scriptures. He is better than Abraham. In that same verse, he was given the title King of Righteousness, the King of Salem or Salem or Shalom, the King of Peace. We read in Isaiah, he's the Prince of Peace. Here in Hebrews, he is the King of Peace. In chapter 3, verse 3, he is better than Moses. Uh, 
as you look at Hebrews further, you, you see that Hebrews submits that the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, that part of your Bible over there, was God's holy word, and it is God's holy word. Very true, but it's only part of the story. And in being part of the story, it's only a temporary book in the sense of which if you just hang with the Old Testament and never make it to the new, you discover that that Old Testament is frustrating because it does not have the ability to eliminate sin. But Hebrews in chapter 7 and verse 25 clarifies the other side of the book, which is that Jesus is able to save them to the uttermost. Hallelujah. That's huge. In chapter 1, verse 4, he has a better name. In chapter 7, verse 19, he has a better hope. He provides a better hope. In chapter 8 and verse 6, he gives us a better covenant or a better promise through a better ministry. In chapter 11 and verse 16, he is personally preparing a better country to take his people to. And all of those things, I just want you to hear me now as I tell you this. Christ is just better. Amen? He is better. Thankful for that. Thankful for that. Well, I'm not preaching from Hebrews. As Pastor Andrew would say, that's all free. Now we're actually going to start. We're actually in Luke chapter 11, the same passage that we've been working through as a church for quite some time. And in that chapter 11, we've discovered more and more and more. We're coming right to the end of it today. We're discovering that the scriptures there are differentiating a king that is rule a kingdom, excuse me, that is ruled by a king. Uh, Pastor Andrew last week set apart characteristics of the people that followed the king, and in his teaching last week he shared with us that there's only two kingdoms in this life as represented in chapter 11 and verse 23, where Jesus said, you are either for me or what? You are against me. There's only two. The Jewish people were trying to establish, and lest I say just the Jewish people, I just want you to know for millennia, religions have been duped into this middle ground and that they've tried to build a third kingdom in the midst of it all. Jesus said only two. They said, well, that's nice, but no, we have a better idea. There's a third. And that third, I would describe it more or less as remembering again in my early days as I uh, became a, a, a memorizer of those inspired television uh, jingles of commercials that Burger King says you're allowed to have it your way. So I'm going to call this a Burger Kingdom, where, where every Burger King and every Burger Queen get a chance to go to their Burger Kingdom and decide this is the way they want their kingdom of life to look. So if we're talking hamburgers, we can say, you know what, I love that thing, but I really don't like the lettuce. Or I love that thing, but I'd really like hot, hot sauce on it. We're able to take God's word now and, and read the scriptures and say, well, God, that is good, but, but this is better. Or God, I, I like that about it, but let me embellish upon it and, and build a doctrine above and beyond what you're saying so that I never will transgress against you. 
That's what happened in Judaism. As a matter of fact, when you look at a number of the laws and traditions that Judaism has had over the, the millennia, is that they were building a fence around that Old Testament law. That Old Testament law was given by God for a holy people, a people set apart to him. It was a frustrating law because they could not seem to to hold on to it well. And as a result, they built fences, things that they felt would say, God, thank you for that, but let us do it over here in building a traditional fence so that we never get close enough to transgress your law, or so they thought. The problem is, when you begin building fences, that those fences eventually become what? Your doctrine. No, you sort of forget what's in the middle and enjoy what you have because this is what people see and this is where you get the, your reputation, etc., etc., etc. They built the fence reputation, the burger kingdom, if you will. Illustrated, for instance, even at this very day. Susan and I had the opportunity to live in Israel for seven years, and while there, we're able to participate in many of the ancient uh, Jewish holidays that still exist to this very day. God said way back in the law, you will do this every year, and guess what? 2023, they'll still be doing those holidays that were prescribed by our Lord. One of those happens to be the most high holy day of the year, and that is Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. It is the day that is celebrated in a a humble way to realize, really for us as we look back on it, how God forgives sin. It's a beautiful thing. Tel Aviv and Columbus are very much the same, about the same size, about the same infrastructure, uh, about the same traffic, uh, about the same aggressiveness. What else can I say? That's enough. All right, we'll stop there. Uh, but on the Day of Atonement, believe this or not, can you imagine this in Columbus? I've, I don't think you can. But in Tel Aviv, on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, every year, you literally could take your lunch today, go out into the middle of the eight-lane highway, sit down and eat it. No cars. Everybody's at home. Nobody leaves. If they are watching television or listening to music, the the volume is low. They don't visit. They don't call. They don't do anything. It is a day of quietness. Amazing how they do that. But then at the end of the day, there is one more prescription that they need to do. This is a tradition. This is one of those fences I was telling you about. It's called Neela. Anybody ever seen Neela in the scriptures? Yes, not. No, it's a tradition. It's a fence. And Nehla is where we all go to the synagogue and we begin to pray. We begin to blow the shofar and we begin to pray. And we pray loud and we pray begging God that he please would take us for one more year, that his mercy would be upon us one more year. Because what the, the whole word of Nehla means the closing or the locking of the gates. And what they believe is that on the Day of Atonement, that gate is wide open. That is the gate of God's mercy that forgives sin for the year. And if you can get into that gate before it closes, you too have been forgiven and you're okay. And so at the very end of Yom Kippur, 
in unison, there they are, just pouring out their hearts. God, please, the gate is closing. The gate is closing, and please, I want to be in there. Let me in, let me in. See what I've done. Be impressed of what I've done. Forgive me of the things that I did do, and let me in into your favor for that year. The really sad part about all that is the day after Yom Kippur, most people, they just go back to being who they normally are. That God really isn't all that important in their lives. That this Bible doesn't really pay that much attention. They don't pay attention to it. They just go back. And before you throw stones at the Jewish people, I don't know about you, but I've had troubles on Mondays sometimes after God has just spoken his word to me on a Sunday. The Spirit of God has just poured out to me his mercy and grace to just say, David, I want you to see this. I want you to change this. And I would say, yes, Lord, I, I understand that. And then Monday, boom, it's like gone. And I've fallen into some of my poor habits. You been there? I have. It is, like I said, an issue that has plagued millennia for millennia. So many religious people, the burger kingdom, have it your way. This is just a a very long illustration of where we're heading this morning as we open up Luke chapter 11 and finish it today. We're looking from verse 37 right on to the end. And it really is that, that time where the Lord has been sharing this whole, not really idea, but reality of the kingdom where he is king. And by the end of this chapter, he's, he's, you almost hear him say, although I don't see it in in this text, but you hear him say, if you have ears to hear, listen, 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 and people are not. And so now he is responding, if you will, to the audacity of saying, God, you're good, but I really want my have-it-your-way kingdom. And that's the way we look at it today. It's in a possible moment of, of hospitality as it begins in verse 37. While Jesus was speaking, it says, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So... He went in and reclined at table. I don't know the motive behind this particular Pharisee. Was he curious still of Jesus? He just heard him teaching. He'd seen the miracles. What what was it that kept him calm? Why would you want him in your home? Honestly, there was a respect that was rolling along within the Pharisees uh, of Jesus. I mean, they couldn't punch a lot of holes in what he had said, other than the fact that he called himself the Messiah. That was a problem. But if, I don't know if you knew this, but the Pharisees believed much like you and I believe here in this particular church. If you come here and you have become a member, you have had to read a doctrinal statement and agree to that, and you'll discover that the Pharisees in our doctrinal statement do have a lot of similarities. They agreed with the inspiration of Scripture, that it came from God. They agreed that it was the authority, that we ought to live by it. They agreed with supernatural things like heaven and hell. They believed in a devil. They believed in the Lord God. They believed in eternal life. They believed in the resurrection. 
sounds familiar, doesn't it? We all agree with that. Sometimes we say, oh, those Pharisees. Well, be careful. You need to say, it's all those Baptists all at the same time because in some ways we are connected. We both have that sincere desire to know those things. Well, what happened? I'll tell you what happened. They got sidetracked by fences. They got sidetracked by fences. And those fences were the things that caused them to nail your Savior and mine to the cross. Here we have this, this wonderful invitation. And can you imagine it? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? I, I don't know if I can, but I invite Jesus to come to my house. And, and he says, okay. And the knock or the ding-dong comes to the door. Not, oh, that's not Jesus. You're not ding-dong. That's the wrong way to say that. But uh, anyway, he pushes the doorbell. He comes in, and he sits down. And right at that very moment, all of a sudden, it hits me. Jesus is in my house. The son of David, the Messiah King, he is in my house. How would you feel? Would, would you run down the hallway? Excuse me just a minute. Run down the hallway and into your bedroom and... You know, wow, this is really something. I think I would. But instead, this poor man, this poor group of Pharisees, and that's the way when they ate, they always ate as a group. Verse 38, it says, the Pharisee didn't go to his bedroom and go like this. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not, Jesus did not first wash before dinner. He was angry. He was astonished. The rumblings were going all over the place. He was thinking about something that was not even mentioned in the Torah, not even mentioned in God's law that says, Thou shalt wash thy hands ceremonial clean before thou eatest. It was not there. And yet there they were. What was it? I'll tell you what it was. It was a fence. It was something that they said, let's try to stay clean. Was that wrong? Is the ritual a bad thing? Not necessarily. It's not necessarily a bad thing. We have traditions that we do. The problem was, is they allowed that to become the law over the kingdom. And having the very king in their house, they just simply decided, he blew it. He blew it. Well, it's at this point, as you finish the rest of this chapter, you watch as the Lord Jesus, his heart, the limit had been reached. The, if you will, the cliff of his human patience was over. The audacity of these people to just simply belittle him and, and criticize his teaching and call him some pretty bad names. He who was the king. Jesus had to say something. So in the heart of the better king, the time to respond had come. And for the next 11 verses, there's gonna be six woes that he shares. Let me tell you something about a woe. Woes are not um, rebukes. You know, he does not point a finger at you and say, whoa! It is really a 
the whole idea is it's a response of deep, horrific grief. Literally, it is uh, how horrible it will be for you, that word woe, how horrible it will be for you. Interesting, in the Greek, it's on the screen. Uva. And I, I really, I, I went and I looked it up because this kind of blew my mind because uh, living in Israel and being around enough Jewish friends all for much of my life, this little phrase happens quite a bit. Oy vey. And when you hear oy vey, do you frown or do you smile? It's a comedy word, isn't it? It is the whole idea we've come to something oy vey. And they have brought it to that point. And I want you to catch this just for a second. Again, this is one of those Pastor Andrew freebies. But the, the idea behind it is, here is a word of serious, how horrible and horrific this situation is that I'm going to explain to you. But we, in our burger kingdom, have turned that idea, slang-wise, in a lie, to comedy. What is meant for sadness and great horror is now comedy. We have it today, even in our English language. Would you please forgive me ahead of time, but sometimes people say, God damn. Please, I don't, I don't appreciate that. But the reality is it often comes to this idea of almost a comedy. But it's horrific, isn't it? It's horrific. Oh. And so I, I want you to catch that because when Jesus is saying, whoa, He's not necessarily angry with them in the sense of rebuke. He is sad, and his heart is just bursting at the seams of what they're doing. Let's just walk down them quickly. There's three and three. It's broken in two threes. The first goes to Pharisees, the second to the experts, if you will. And if I could just quick say what those are, the Pharisees, or another word for Pharisees, is separatist. They were the ones who were simply trying to separate themselves from the word, to, world to live for the word, to live a better life, to live a life pleasing to God. They were sincere in what they were doing. We've already talked about that they got sidetracked. But the truth of the matter is they, if you will, were the, that group of Jewish people who's almost like out of all Christians, there's Baptists. Well, out of all Jews, there was the Pharisees. There they were that group of people serious about. It. And then you, and as you get down a little further, we're going to read about the lawyer. NIV calls him an expert, and that's probably a little better uh, definition because what these fellows were, were the theologians. They were the experts of the law. They were the researchers. They were the horse's mouth, if you will. I want to know what the, the Old Testament law says that you would go to one of these guys. Okay, so we're going to deal with those two groups of people, three and three. Let's start with the first three, the Pharisees. Immediately, again, here we are. They're astonished. And verse 39, we start. Now, the Lord said to him, Now, you Pharisees, you cleanse the outside of the cup of the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give alms as those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees. Woe. For you tithe mint and rue and other herb, every herb, and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting 
the others. I call that first woe just that woe of majoring on the minors. It is such a common problem in the burger kingdom. Have it your way. It is such a common thing that happens. Now, is tithing important? Yes, it is. It's, it's a great thing. But if you can just visualize this with me, here's these people with the little uh, ounce scale going back and forth. Man, we need to get it just right. We need to get it just right so that we can stay in, in the law and do things that are right. And at the same time, the needs of others, the need of justice, the need of mercy was just simply, that's not important. Majoring on minors. Both important, but some more important. Jesus came to this earth not to make sure you give, not to check up on uh, your tea leaves. <laughs> he came, and he loved to know that you love others, and that you love him, and that you worship, and that your life is a life of justice and mercy. That's what he wants you to do. The tithing will come along. The giving will come along with worship. Oh, how horrible it gets when we spend more time on our fence issues of traditions that we've decided are more important. I've lived long enough to have to deal with this myself when some places would say it's more important that you have this particular translation of the scriptures if you really want to please God or if you wear this kind of clothing if you really want to please God or if you play this kind of music and have this kind of stuff in your church if you really want to please God we could put our world exactly into that same scripture, that we do all of these things, but we neglect the most important things that God would want us to do. Whoa. God's sad by that. God is sad by that. The next woe is the woe of position, verse 43, that says, Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seed in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Don't you love this worship team up here? You know, and here they all are. And John, he's got his, always got his Bible here. By the way, his name is John. And I know that because he sits right here. John, it's me. That's not your heart, my brother. I know that. But that, was th that whole idea, you know, just getting people to see you uh, and know who you are. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, they are amazing. We don't serve God that, for that reason, but, but this was a woe that we uplift ourselves to the point we just really want people to see us, or we're in the marketplaces. Now, this is really ironic if you think about it. If you are going to be one of these uh, worshipers underneath the law, for they have, again, built these fences. Now, it, the marketplace was a place where you could turn yourself unclean ceremonially really fast. After all, there are a bunch of Gentiles hanging out in the marketplace. And after all, there was unclean food there. And these Pharisees, and what Jesus is saying is, is that they would go down into the marketplaces and in, in a sense, intentionally 
make themselves unclean by being near or touching something that they ought not. And then, oh my, I am unclean until evening. Excuse me, excuse me. By the way, my name is Dave. Uh, Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. How pious and how wonderful I am. Jesus is saying that makes me horrifically sad that you're more important about what others, it's more important to you to understand, oh sorry, let me start again. It is more important to you what others think than what God thinks. As long as enough of you here today say, Dave, great job. I will go home a happy man. That's the point. No. The Lord would say this, and it actually comes from Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25, that says, the fear of man brings a snare. Brings a snare. We just simply are so, it's so important to us what other people think. Have you ever heard God just simply say, listen, would it be okay with you if nobody said anything? If you just served me and you didn't get any credit for anything at any time, Would that be okay with you? I saw you. I know what you did. Would that be enough? For the Pharisees, it was not, and that made our Savior so sad. And he was at that cliff just to say, out it goes. Number three, the third woe. Verse 44 says, Woe to you, for you're like unmarked graves. People walk over them without knowing it. The law did declare that anybody who touched a person who was dead or happened to touch a grave, that they would be unclean until evening. The law actually said that. But that's not Jesus. what Jesus said here, is it? He said, he pointed right at them and said, you are the graves. You are causing people just by your conduct to become unclean, to not see me, to not... And embellish themselves in my mercy and in my grace. You haven't, they aren't recognizing me as the king. It makes me sad that you would be the source of defilement rather than the means to the cure. Well, it's just about that time, verse number 45, one of the lawyers answered him, teacher, and you can hear it in his voice, in saying these things, you insult us also. You hear him. What does Jesus do? Right back at it. Oy vey. Oh my. How horrible. You want to take me on? Okay. Woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens, hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens even with one of your fingers. The woe of burdening over, over blessing. You see, dear friends, I, we, we sang it this morning, and I couldn't help, and part of it's because I was preaching, and I, I had to hold this in order to get up here. But I, I couldn't help when we were singing, prepare our hearts, oh God, just to hold my Bible. Uh, you know, these words, uh, where else can we go, Lord? Where else can we go? And I was just thinking about that as I was singing and worshiping this morning and thinking through how wonderful these words are. But the fences, the fences caught these people burdened, others, if you don't do this, by the way, they didn't do it. 
but they just put such a burden on others. They didn't practice what they preached. Listen, if you're going to be a person that says, I love Jesus, and you go by this book, you live by this book, okay? You live by it. It's good. It's a blessing. Scripture's all over the place. Psalm 119, just spend, right, spend time right there and you're gonna see the refreshment over and over and over again in Psalm 119. Oh, how I love your law. Uh, and a little later on, it says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's a blessing. Use it to bless others, not to burden others. Woe to you experts. You should know better. Shame on you. Verse 47 is the next one, and it's longer. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation from the very blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. That woe of what I call the profitless law. They rejected the teachings of the prophets. Oh yes, later on, they built monuments in honor of certain prophets. In fact, they're still in Jerusalem today. You can visit some of the ruins of some of those monuments. But the truth of the matter was, was that they disagreed. They, they rejected what the prophets that were sent by God to tell them the truth. And they said, no, we are fine. We're in our burger kingdom, thank you. As a matter of fact, it doesn't say this here, but you can feel it. It wouldn't be long, and they would be murdering the prophet of prophets. They would be nailing him to a cross. It wasn't long. Woe to you. You make me sad because you don't even grasp the the very foundation of how I gave you the truth. The people that I gave you the truth, you killed them from the very first murder of Abel to the last prophet whose name was Zechariah, 2 Chronicles chapter 24, verse 20 and 21. And the last one, if you will, verse 52. Woe to you lawyers, you experts. You have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves and you hindered those who were entering. That woe of stubbornness not only to not submit to God, but also to make sure you conceal it from everybody else. Wow. Saying things like, you can't study on your own. You can't understand this without me. How many times have you heard Pastor Andrew stand up here and say, now listen, I say this respectfully, but you folks are really ignorant. And you need me to tell you. Now, I appreciate and love my pastor, but he's never going to say that because it's the Word of God through the Spirit of God that gives us the truth of God in our spirits. Praise God. Praise Him. Praise Him. Praise Him. It's all of Him. God has called teachers to help us with that process. He has led us to people like that. But there are many, there are many religious charlatans, if you will, that by their voice, they would say, you can only know the truth because of me. 
I love what a pastor named Colin Smith said about this idea. He said, what is the goal of Scripture if not to point people to God? What is the goal? Why, why conceal it? Why hide it? Why take it away? Just point people. Be a light, and so on. Well, I'm almost finished with the text, but I have to tell you that I stepped back a little bit from this text, and I looked at it one more time, and I said, I realized that this is, they're, again, they're not rebukes. They're not like the epistles maybe of, of Paul that he would be giving us all this list and we would say, wow, I need to grasp those things uh, because I need to grow in Christ. And if the, the Lord uses that by application, that's fine. But these are woes. These are sad moments. What he's, I just looked back and all of a sudden all I could see was the, the passion of Jesus poured out on this last passage of scripture that we've just gone through. Would you let me just share it with you? And I would love for you, if anything, today. It's really, we don't primarily need more ammunition against the hypocrites. We need greater worship. We need greater pursuit of the better Christ the King of kings, the Lord of lords. We need to grasp his heart and give him glory, as was we talked about earlier. Or we can try to ride the edge of religiosity and evaluate whether we're going to submit. That's not his kingdom. So listen, as we worship the better Christ, who first of all was passionate for truth. Didn't you catch that when we went through this, these woes? Didn't you feel the fact that he loves the truth and that the truth is what sets us free? He prayed to his father in John 17, God, take these, your people, and sanctify them. Set them apart because your word is truth. He let Paul write to Timothy. Oh, I love this passage of scripture, 2 Timothy 3, 16, that says all scripture is given by inspiration. God breathed it. And it's profitable for, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, fully furnished for every single good work. It's the word that's going to make that happen. Jesus was passionate for that truth to come forward. And I just saw it in his, in his heart and in his life, even in sadness. I've got a lot of favorite authors. I could name them off to you. Uh, but when it all comes right down to it, if, if I decide to share with you my truth according to my authors, what would it value? That's why we sit here and we say, this is what, Bible, this is what the Bible says. It's what God said. Don't get stuck with, well, this is what Piper says, this is what Swindoll says, this is what Dobson says, this is this, 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 the gospel according to. No, it's the gospel according to Jesus. He's passionate for that truth. Second, he is jealous for people. Jesus Christ, when we see in his heart here as he's talking these woes out to these people who are concealing truth and, and, and putting all kinds of pressure on people that they need to do, 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 do in order to establish a happiness that maybe they'll get in the gate when it closes. Jesus is jealous for freedom for those people freedom at least five times in, this, in the passage we just went through Christ said what about others 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 
He's jealous for people to know truth. Aren't you glad? I'm glad for that. Christ is jealous for me. He pursues me. My pastor, who has the most influence in my life and so far that I've had, he always talked about the hound of heaven. And only he could do this, but since you don't know him, I can do it and you'll be impressed. He would go, he is the hound of heaven. And he'd go, ow! You know, and he would do it so much better than me. But you're impressed, I can tell. And that's important, right? No, it's not. But uh, uh, I love the fact that my God is jealous for me. Worship song that's sung sometimes, it starts that way. He is jealous for me. Oh, how he loves us so. End result of this whole thing, God so loves the world that he gave himself, his only begotten son. He's jealous. And if I may, the cross bearer, Christ was passionate for his truth. He was jealous for people, but in the spirit of woe, one clear by words here, the other obvious just by the focus, we look at the last two verses, and he went away from there. Sounds like dinner didn't happen, doesn't it? He went away from there. The scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him to capture him in something he might say. You'd think if the Messiah was sad, you would be repentant. But instead, they were rejecting him. You'd think that they would want to be a friend, but instead they were an opponent. You'd think they'd want to bow, but instead they just grew and grew and grew in self-reliance to the point that if we just jump forward seven chapters to Luke 18, verse 10 through 14, it'll be on uh, the screen. Luke chapter 18, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee standing by himself, can you see it after we've talked today? prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Wow. The tax collector, on the other hand, standing afar off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, sinners. They didn't get it. And they aren't going to get it. And we know the end of the story. In fact, the end of the story, is not, as we're talking here, is not the end of the story because he rose. But the truth is, is that for these poor people, they never got it. And so the gospel of the cross was on the horizon, Luke chapter 11. As we close that chapter, you look, and that's where we're going. Christ is going to pay for all of these fence sins and everything else that we have done. 
since the beginning of time. That was the heart of the king. The heart of the king in the midst of a sinful generation, whether it be the Bible generation or our generation, the heart of the king is that he is still passionate for truth. He's still jealous for people. And he is now the risen cross-bearer for you and for me. Can I just encourage you who sit in this room today, we're getting to know many of you as we've just started coming to Maranatha, but many of you are here passionate and wanting to know truth. You're serious about why you're here. Can I just encourage you to worship him? Get to know this God that is passionate for you, but also transfix it into others. Let them know about this Christ. Don't sit the fence of grabbing onto traditions that just are our preferences, and you're allowed to have them. It's okay. It is really okay. But it's, let's let the truth be the truth. On the other hand, maybe you're riding the fence right now. Can I just ask you to catch the better king's passion? He's sad about you if you're in that burger kingdom. Lord, I want it my way. I'll go to church, but you know, tomorrow, <laughs> you know, I'll wait till next Sunday to, to do the religion thing again. Please understand that there is a woe-colored hair on the back of your Savior's neck raised for you. Live in light of an amazing, better, better king. My Father, thank you for Jesus. Lord, this passage is a crazy passage. It, it's so demonstrative of the foolishness and weakness of our pursuit of truth all by ourselves or even somewhat related to you when in reality you want all of us. You want our whole heart. You want to save our whole soul. You don't want it to be about anything but you. As John said earlier appropriately, it is your glory that we live for and that glory is beautiful and desirous and there is a peace and a joy that comes from glorifying you. You lead us to that. Father, help us because we truly are bombarded with sort of wanting to play the burger kingdom, what I want type of life. And we need to just be growing and growing and growing. Thank you for the fellowship of the day. One more time, we pray that you'll bless the folks down in Tennessee as they finish today. Will you just grant to them a fruitfulness? We look forward to hearing what you're doing and going to do. But Father, may they be excited in what you're, you're doing and going to do even here in Columbus. We love you and we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all.